Well, I want to share something with you this morning that some of you are aware of, some of you probably more than others, but I have a, I'm going to call it a condition. I was first made aware of it back when I was about five years old, and it's continued to plague me and to be a problem to me ever since that time. So let me tell you the story of when I became aware of it, and it's pretty brief, but it goes back to my fifth birthday. And I had gone to church that day, and at church, um, my parents' best friends, uh, the Bartlett's, uh, met me, and they had a gift for me. And uh, I still, re- I can still picture this in my mind. And so they had this this gift for me, and they handed it to me. And I was like, "Can I open it now?" My parents were standing there, and they're like, "Sure, go ahead and open it." And so I opened up this present for my fifth birthday, and it was a frisbee. But my parents had given me a Frisbee for my birthday a few days before that, so it was a duplicate gift. And I was just five years old, and I looked at that Frisbee, and I looked at the Bartlett's, and I said, thanks a lot, I already got one. (laughs) That was the wrong thing to say. My parents made me very aware of the fact that it was the wrong thing to say. But you know what I've discovered? That since that day... Many times over, I have figured out the wrong thing to say. And I have often said the wrong thing, or I have said things in the wrong way, or I have said things that shouldn't be said, or I've said things at the wrong time, and I've said things for the wrong reasons. In all my life, I have been fighting this condition. I have trouble with my words. I have said unkind things. I've gossiped. I've lied. I've embellished stories. I've thrown cold water on other people's dreams. I've bragged and tried to make myself look better. I've given false impressions. I've talked when I really just needed to shut up. I've gotten angry and yelled at people. I've been impatient and rude. I've passed blame on to other people's. And I'm wondering this morning... If I'm just the only one who has this condition, really I'm not wondering, because we all do. In fact, James said as much, didn't he, in his book? In James chapter 3, verse number 2, he said this, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So if you don't stumble, you're perfect. But just in case any but reading what James wrote, thought he was doing okay. James went on in verse number 8 and he said this, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a human problem and it's a big problem. And we see it in today's world, don't we? Wow. The insults, the rudeness, the gossip, the lies, the screaming, the yelling. And it's not just words that come out of our mouth. It's also the words that nowadays come out of our fingers in what we write or what we type and in our emails and our texts and our tweets and all of these things. It's in our society, but it also makes its way into our church. And it even shows up in our homes way too often. This problem with words. You know, it's not a new problem at all, is it? It was a problem all the way back in the day of Jesus. In fact, it goes all the way back to basically the creation of man. And the Bible speaks to it often. Paul tells us in Colossians 4, 6, the word speech is supposed to be filled with grace. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, let's get rid of the unwholesome talk and let's find words that build people up. Peter tells this in, in his letter to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. And if we'll do that, our lives will go better. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, over and over and over and over again, addresses word issues when he says things like, a soft answer turns away wrath. Or he who guards his mouth keeps himself from calamity. Or he who loves a quarrel loves to sin. But this morning, I want to focus on something that Jesus said about words. He actually said the same thing twice, and he said it in two different places. One in Matthew chapter 12, and one in Luke chapter 6. And we're going to look at both of those this morning, but Luke chapter 6 in a little bit more detail. I'm going to read this morning, though, from the Old New International Version, which if you're using U version, you have the New International Version. If you want to follow with me specifically and word for word, you can use the red Bibles that are in front of you. That is actually what I'm going to be using this morning, just because in one place it reads in a way that I think gives us a clearer picture. It'll be close enough if you're just using what's on U version or whatever uh, version you prefer. But let me read what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 34 and 35. And then we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses, uh, verse number 45. And you can see how similar what he said is. In verse uh, Matthew 12, 34, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And then Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse number 45, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying this, that we say both good things and we say bad things, but we say them based on what's going on inside of us. So I say angry things because I'm angry. I say negative things because negative thoughts are dominating my thinking at that point. I say manipulative things because I'm trying to get my own way. I say proud things because, well, I'm just too much about myself. And we could flip that into the good too and say, well, I say encouraging things because I'm caring or I say honest things because I'm trying to be a person of integrity. But we can boil it down in, into a basic principle, and that's this. What we say reveals who we are. See, it's not just what I say. It's what I say when I say what I say. Because what I say reflects what's going on inside of me. Or what Jesus said, what I say is the overflow of my heart. So I brought this up here. This is just water, all right? Don't panic. But if I tip this over, what's going to come out? Water. That's all that's going to come out. And if I tip it out, it's still going to be water, and it's still going to be water. But what Jesus' point is, when I speak, the words that come out of me reflect and reveal who I am and what's going on on the inside of me. 
scary thought, isn't it? When I think about some of the things that I've said, I'm like, oh, wow, is that me? Yep, it is. I guess it could be encouraging, too, to think, well, sometimes I've said good things, so hopefully that's me as well. But the problem is most of us don't think about this simple idea here. We just start talking. And we never really stop and pause and think about what that talk is saying about us. And even more important than that, we don't stop to think about what are we saying? And where is that coming from? And what impact is it having on others? Or what am I really trying to get out of it for myself? Because a lot of times what I say, I'm not really so concerned about you. I'm very concerned about me and how it makes me look. The irony here is that while we reveal what we say with our speech, we think we are concealing who we are with our speech. So, like, I lie. And why do I lie? Because I don't want you to find out what I did. Or I point at somebody else and pass the blame and say, well, you know, talk to that person because I don't want you looking at my failure. Or I brag because I'm hoping that I can compensate for my feelings of insecurity and inferiority. And for a person who's actually listening, I tell something about myself that I don't even realize I'm saying. And if that person's listening, I'm busted. And that's partly what Jesus is saying here. Because our words reveal us, sometimes they betray us, because our words always have a why. We say what we say for a reason. When we get bumped, or when we spill out, the reason becomes apparent. So we need to listen to ourselves. See, I think the problem here, though, is most of us don't really do that. We don't really listen to what we're saying, and we're not really listening to the why behind what we're saying. So when I am complaining, I don't stop long enough to say, why am I complaining? What am I, what is the cause for that? Am I complaining because I didn't get my way? Am I complaining because if I point out to you that this wasn't, you know, the way it should be, then you think better of me, like I have a better idea. Why am I complaining? Why am I gossiping? I I can't really think of a good reason to gossip. Other than the fact, I guess it makes me feel better about myself. You, You know, that person did that. I would never do that, is what's implied, right? And yet we say things like that. I I embellish or I exaggerate. But why do I do that? Because I want you to like me. Because I want you to think I'm funnier, that my story's good. I hedge on the truth, but why do I do that? Or, or, or I make a comment that might be off color. Why do I do that? Or I'm rude. Why do I do that? See, what we says, what we say says more than just information. It reveals the condition of our heart. So it's not really that we have a problem with words that we do. Our problem is what? We have a problem with our hearts. And so if we're going to fix our word problems, The best way that we fix it is what? By addressing our heart problems. We address our word problems by addressing our heart issues. So if we have a problem with our words, and sometimes we're like, I just got to learn to control my mouth. I just talk too much. I say the wrong thing. 
That's good. But if we really understand what Jesus is saying here, we don't need to just say, i got to work on saying the right thing. I need to back that up even further and say, okay, I need to think the right thing. I need to deal with what's going on in my heart. Are these words that are coming out, is it because of bitterness? Well, then if I could fix the bitterness, the words will take care of itself, right? Or are these words coming out because of pride? Well, then if I can address this pride, then the words are going to be helped over here. And, and if, if my, you know, if it's selfishness, if I can address this selfishness, then I'm, I'm going to be able to fix these words over here. And so when we look at these problems in our hearts or our lives, in our speech, we need to back up and say, okay, what's the heart? What's my heart behind that? And address the pride, the selfishness, the insecurity, the deceit, the meanness, the impatience, all of these things. Now, let me just say this too. Some of us are less expressive than others. Some people are very extroverted and very talkative and whatever like that. And, and maybe there's a tendency for them to say more things that they shouldn't say. And some of us are more reserved and more quiet. I'm not really giving any of us who are on the introverted, quiet side a pass here. Because there's sometimes words that get say in, said in our heads that never make it out of our mouths that are every bit as bad because they reflect a heart that's not right. And sometimes we pat ourselves on the back because, well, at least I didn't say anything. But what would you think? Because that is really the core issue of what we're talking about. Now, when Jesus gives these verses, both in Matthew and in Luke, it's a summary. It's a conclusion to something that's gone on before that. In two very different uh, situations, and yet, at the same time, very similar. In Matthew, what's going on is Jesus has just been verbally attacked by the Pharisees. And the story is, there is a man brought to Jesus who is blind and mute and demon-possessed. And Jesus casts the demon out of this man and heals him. And the Pharisees are present at that time, and they look at them and they say, See, that's proof you're not God's son, because you just cast that demon out. Think about that right there. He said, because only evil could cast out evil was basically their thing. So you must be like, you know, Beelzebub. And Jesus is refuting their attack on him. And he says basically this, uh, guys, evil can't do anything this good. Evil can only do evil. So if we have somebody who was needing healing and I did good in that situation, if I'm evil, I can't do that. Evil can only do evil. So that's just proof that I'm... Good. And he gives a couple of other arguments there. If you read that passage, there's three arguments. But he goes on and he wraps that up then by saying, Hey, you know, you said that I'm evil. You implied that you're good. Let's just turn the tables with these verses here and say this. And we already read them. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying, hey, what Judas said proves that you're the evil ones. Not me. goes on, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil out of the things stored up in him. And it's a conclusion to this whole story saying, hey, just listen to what's being said here. It will tell you a lot about the people who are saying it. Well, the story in Luke is a little bit different. I want to invite you to turn there if you haven't yet. And I want you to, to read this one with me, and we're going to park here a little bit longer this morning. 
Luke chapter 6 is taken from what is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. We're more familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and that's probably Jesus' most famous sermon. The Sermon on the Plain, we're told, was given on a level place. So we think it was a different sermon. It might have been the same one. It's more likely that they were different things. And there's a possibility here, at least, that Jesus had like a, a um, standard message, kind of like um, uh, uh, somebody running for office would go to place to place and would stump. They have their stump speech. And they have the same things that say, say every place, and they pull out different things and add to it, or pull out something else and leave something else out. The Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount were probably two different sermons, and yet they sound a lot alike because Jesus hit some of the same things but then he adds some things and some deletes some things. So this is the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. And it's going to sound a lot like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. But he says this in Luke six thirty-seven: Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Familiar, right? Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So this is familiar, I think, to most of us. Don't judge. And we say that to people all the time. Don't judge. Don't judge me. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Now, I I like to use that verse, too, when you're judging me. My problem with judging is when you're being judgmental, I like to judge you for being judgmental. Anybody else have that problem? If you weren't so judgmental, well, what did you just say, right? But we tend to go there. I think there's an interesting thing there in what Jesus says, though, especially when he says, if you forgive, you'll get forgiven, and, and if you give, you'll, you'll, you'll be treated generously. There's an element where the principle of sowing and reaping is involved in what we say. So when I'm quick to judge somebody, to condemn, to criticize, to gossip... I can expect that that same thing will happen to me in God's economy. At the same time, if I'm quick to forgive, if I'm quick to be generous, I can expect the same thing to happen to me in God's economy. That's just an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? The next time you're tempted to say something about somebody that you shouldn't say, is you may want to stop and think, oh, what I like for somebody else in somebody else's kitchen to be saying that about me right now because it's probably going to happen. That's what he's saying. We'll keep going here, though. Verse number 39. He also told them this parable, and I think this, I don't know, but I think this might be the shortest parable in the uh, in the Gospels here. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Whole parable. And it's just a simple visual of a blind man who needs somebody to guide him, so he puts his hand on somebody's shoulder who also happens to be blind, and they walk down the road, and there's the pit, and boom, they both fall in. Next verse. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And then we go back to the theme of judging, verse number 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
In other words, stop pointing out faults in other people when you've got a plate full of faults yourself or an eye full of faults yourself. And then we come to those verses that we read earlier. A good tree bears good fruit. No, excuse me. No good tree bears bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes or from, from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man, evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, there it is again, the mouth speaks. So we look at this, and we pick up on this pretty obvious point, is, well, I shouldn't judge, and that's true. But what we fail to see sometimes is how this story or this instruction of not judging fits together with this statement that Jesus said about be careful what you say. And we get part of it. We get the fact that, you know, it all involves our speech, but there's more to this story. So let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, we can say this. When you're pointing out specks in others, you're probably revealing planks in yourself. Remember what we say says something about us? So when I say, hey, you've got this problem, I'm saying something about me at the same time. And so when I get to be where I'm pointing out things and other, I am telling you about my pride or my insecurity Or maybe I'm telling you about my need to be a hero or my need to always be right or my need to look good or I'm telling you about my inferiority or maybe I'm even using it to hide something about me like my shame or my failure. But when I start looking at people and pointing out their faults, I am revealing something about us, about myself. And we all are doing that. And it's true in so many areas. When we complain, we reveal something about ourselves. When we accuse, when we argue, when we brag, when we name drop, when we try to one-up somebody, when we steal the punchline, when we gossip, when we do all those things, we're saying something about ourselves. And what is it that all of these types of things have in common? I'm saying this, and I'm not just giving information. I'm saying this because I'm hoping to get something myself out of this. Your respect, your attention, your affirmation. Maybe it's just feeling better about myself, but there's a motive or there's a why behind what I'm saying. And all of these words are designed to make others look bad or to make ourselves look good. Think about that for a minute. What are you saying when you say what you say about yourself. When we say words like this, that I've just mentioned here, we're actually announcing to the world that we have a problem. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? So, Jesus is saying, hey, don't run around pointing things out in people's eyes, because when you do that, you're going to point out the fact that you have something going on yourself here that you're going to have to deal with, or you're at least going to expose, and you may even embarrass yourself in the process. But there's a bit of a twist in this whole passage that I don't want us to miss, because Jesus is not just telling us to be careful what we say, even though he is. He's also telling us to inspect our heart 
So we can see why we're saying it, and that's a fair point. But there's something else here too. Let me go back to a couple of verses. If you still got that in front of you. Verse number 39, he told them that short little parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Won't they both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. When I read that, did you look at that and go, what in the world does this have to do with everything else in this passage? It's like, how did that get stuck in there? We're talking about, you know, not... We're talking about not judging, and then Jesus comes back and starts telling the story about the plank and the and the and the speck in the eye. And right in between those two thoughts is this idea of two blind guys falling in a pit. What's the deal? Here's the deal. It's to point out the fact that we need to be aware of people and what they're saying and the why behind what they're saying. Or what's revealed behind what they're saying, because every person has the potential to take us into the pit with them. So when we get into gossip and somebody starts gossiping and I'm tempted to jump into, I'm jumping into the pit with them. Or when somebody, you know, says, comes up and pronounces their, their, their great uh, complaint and I agree with that, I am following them into the pit. And so we need to be listening then to what people are saying. And we need to do the best we can to listen to the why behind what they're saying so we don't end up in the pit. Now, the, the verse there that student is not above his teacher, that means like if you're going to follow the Pharisees, you're going to end up in the pit is the point. Or if you're going to follow me, you're not going to end up in the pit. And this is the idea here, though. He's actually calling out the Pharisees for their speech. Now, the Pharisees, we tend to condemn and think of as bad people, and, and they obviously had problems, and Jesus addressed that. But they appeared very good on the outside, and they said very pious things. I'm sure they had all the religious cliches down. I don't know if they had judge not that you be not judged down. Maybe that was a new one that Jesus had come up with. But they would add that to their list. But they knew the right things to say. Uh, they weren't going to tell you an off-color joke. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't going to be overly mean in most cases. And yet Jesus is saying, look out for their words. And so this gets us to the next really important principle. If you want to know what a person is like, then start listening to what he says. And I realize this is just summing up what we've said. But listen to people. By the way, this is not judging. I'm not saying a word here. I'm simply listening to what this person is saying, or this person is saying, or this person is saying. And I'm trying to sort out, well, what's going on here? And this is what Jesus is actually telling us to do. So if a person is insulting, what is he saying about himself? Or if a person is rude, what is she saying about herself? Or if this person brags, or if this person likes to point out another person's fault, what is he or she saying about himself in that case? And it's telling us to step back and to listen into conversations sometimes. Because if we would, we would learn some things about people. And sometimes we're like, at the end of the day, we're like, well, I was really surprised by what I found out what that person was like. Really? Did you listen? Because that person's going to say things that are going to give you some hints 
to what his character is. Does he stretch the truth? Does he get angry a lot? Does he like to make jokes at other people's expense? Does she like to couch meanness in her sarcasm? Listen, because it tells you what you have. And if you want to know what a person is like, then discern what is behind what he or she is saying. And this gets a little confusing. I get that. Because we're not supposed to judge. And yet we are supposed to discern. And it's really crazy because in the middle of this whole thing, at one point Jesus says, hey, you brood of vipers. I'm not really going to run around and call somebody that, all right? But I'm not Jesus. So, you know, he. I think he was a little more secure in what he was saying. But we need to be careful about what people are saying and listen in. So that we don't get led astray or so that we don't buy into a story or so that we don't get taken into a pit here. Now, the Pharisees, what were they known for? Two things. Their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. And hypocrisy is they say one thing and do the other thing. In their self-righteousness is they walked around with their noses up in the air because they are always impressed with how well they were doing spiritually or maybe religiously would be a more accurate term. Which means for us, we need to be aware of that in our own speech. Am I saying one thing and doing another? That's not right. And eventually, I'm going to be exposed. But on the other side of that is I need to make sure that what I'm saying isn't reflecting self-righteousness. And I think it's really easy to go there. And I find myself going there a lot. Self-righteousness. We say things like this, well, I would never do that. Really? That's pretty self-righteous, isn't it? Or, did you hear what Connie did? Or, are you aware that there's a problem here? Or, They should have asked me or listened to me the first time. Or, it's pretty obvious, right? Or, anybody knows what should be done in this situation. Or, when I was praying this morning. Or, like I've always said. Or, let me share this blessing that God did for me. Or, I used to have that problem. Make up your list. And I'm not saying that all those things are necessarily self-righteous. But be careful. Because we like to use our righteousness to make ourselves look better so that everybody thinks better about us, but there's a why behind what we're saying. And the question is, so what is you're saying? What is what you're saying saying about you? Well, let's just wrap this up with two applications this morning. First of all, we need to listen to what others are saying and to respond accordingly. That doesn't mean necessarily you need to shun somebody. It just means you need to take note. Say, oh, okay, what did I hear there? Well, I might want to be careful that I don't end up in a pit with them. And so this is what Jesus is saying to these people listening at that time. He's telling them not to judge, but he's saying, hey, and when you hear people who are judging a lot, hmm, Take note, those are not the people you want to run around with because you're going to end up in a pit with them. And so we all need to do that. Be careful who we listen to. Be careful who we believe. Be careful who gets our admiration and our attention and our affection and our following, whatever. 
But even more important than that is we need to listen to what we are saying and then address the heart issue at the source. This isn't really, you know, we can come out of this and say, well, I heard so-and-so say this, and they shouldn't have said that. And guess what? You just judge them with your self-righteousness. Or you can say, you know what? God, help me to be aware of that, but not, you know, that's not my big issue in life is to fix what everybody else is saying. My big issue is to fix what I'm saying. And even bigger than that is I need to fix what's going on here in my heart. I told you the story of when I got rebuked when I was five. I also got rebuked like 35, 40 years later. I was working on my master's degree at Moody, and I did it through a modular program, and so we would go in and take a week of classes at a time. And I took a um, class, uh, it was something on, on um, Bible teaching methods. I don't remember exactly what the class was, but it was there was just eight of us in the class. And so, like, really, like, instantly, it was one of those classes where everybody just, like, um, meshed together really well and fit together, and we just developed this camaraderie really quick in that class. And so it was really interesting, but about the second or third day in, we were talking about something, and all of us were this modulars. We were all, like, employed in churches in different places, and so we'd just come in for this class. And I remember that day, I was sitting there, and, and there was a guy, his name was Ken, and he was all excited because their church had just built a new gym. And he's like, we're, we're just really excited because our church has built a new gym and, and we just think we're going to be able to do great ministry there. And I spoke up. I said, hey, have you ever heard of Upwards? And he's like, no. I said, it's this, it's like Little League basketball, but from this, from this Christian perspective. And it's this really cool program. And we've been doing it now for a couple of years. In fact, this past year we had, and I gave a number of how many kids were participating in Upward. And it was a pretty significant number. And I'll never forget this, because the teacher in the class looked at me and said, why did you say that? I'm like, well, because we had a lot of kids. He said, no, no, no. Why did you say that? And I said, well, because I wanted to encourage Ken. He said, no, no, no. Why did you say that? And all of a sudden, I got what he was after, and I was so busted. And I was like, oh. You know why I said that? Because when I tossed out that number, everybody in the room was going to go, ooh. And I was going to feel really good. And you know what? I didn't really have a whole lot to do with it, other than the fact that I had three kids in the program. So I contributed three to that total number. And it was really, really, a, I mean, it was a rebuke. And I had it coming. And I remember sitting there that day thinking, huh, it seemed so innocent, didn't it? And yet it was so guilty. What I was saying, I wasn't really trying to encourage Ken. I was really trying to promote Brent. And this is where we need to listen to ourselves. So let me just wrap it up here with with an idea for you here. And let me get rid of this water. And let's use this jar for something else. Some of you are familiar with this idea. This is a word jar. And you, I want to encourage everybody to get one of these at your house and, and keep it at your house for the next five weeks. And find yourself some, some change, whatever you want. You can do quarters, you can do nickels, and you can do this however you want. If you, if you want to use this, some people use their word jars to, uh, fund different projects or whatever like that. I'm hoping you won't be able to do that. But here's the idea behind a word jar. 
when you say a word that you know is wrong, it goes in the jar. Whatever you pick, if you pick pennies, if you pick nickels, if you pick quarters, or or maybe you have different words that you want to give different value to, you know? Okay, I just, you know, negative words worth a penny, you know, a lie is worth a quarter or whatever. I don't care. But the idea is that you keep this jar, and when you catch yourself saying what you shouldn't say, you pick it up and you put it in the jar. You don't give yourself a pass. And here's the other thing, okay? If you want to be really brave, let your family help you with this. Do you want to change? Then you say to your wife, hey, if you hear me like talking about somebody or saying something bad about somebody, gently just say, hey, I think you might need to put something in the jar. And you know what? Let's be conscious of our words. And I want you to keep doing this. And we're going to do something more with this jar in, in three weeks or so. So, you know, don't, don't be overly discouraged that, you know, that if, if your jar is overflowing, call Pastor Mark. You need some counseling, okay? <laughs> but I want you to do this project and invite you to do this project and to start listening to what you say. And it's not just, well, I lied or, you know, I, you know, was was rude or I was unkind or whatever. But it's also like, oh, I was really trying to manipulate there. Or, ooh, I was really trying to make myself look good there. Or, are you getting the idea? Because everything you say says something about you. And so, this is our series here. What are you saying? There's the words that come out of your mouth, and they say one thing. And there's the heart that they come from. That may be saying the same thing, or maybe saying something else, and it's just a game. But everything that you say says something about you. Mm-hmm.